do what you love and fuck the rest. This line is spoken towards the end of Little Miss Sunshine by Paul Dano's character Dwayne. As I sat on my sofa the other night re-watching this film and seeing his character come to this realisation, I came to my own realisation that this might also double as great filmmaking advice. In 2001, directors Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Varis read the script for Little Miss Sunshine, saying that they felt as if it was written for us. Though it would be another five years before the film got made, with various other troubles thrown in, from writer Michael Arndt being fired, to the money being pulled for the project. So how did two seasoned music video directors end up directing this much-loved indie classic that won two Academy Awards and grossed over $100 million? Well, they may have taken some of that great filmmaking advice. You're listening to You Never Forget Your First. Every director's career started somewhere. We find out where. This is our first episode of 2021. We're joined by a very special guest, which is Bennett Knows Will! (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Alright, right, Will. Alright, how's it going? Yeah, good. Good. My name's Dom. I'm your host. I'm also joined by Louie. Hello. And Sparrow. Hello. Good to be back. Welcome to the podcast, Will. I hear you're a keen listener. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am. I sort of try to, try to only listen to the ones that have actually seen the film. Is that because we always give really clear spoiler alerts at the beginning of every episode, just, mm-hmm. just as we're meant to? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, just, yeah, I feel like it should it should be implied in the episode that we are going to spoil the film. Bring it into now, people should know. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how you can talk about a film without spoiling it. You're like, I love the ending. Yeah, I've def- and that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> I definitely uh, ruined Jin Femme for myself by listening to that, but you know, didn't matter too much. Oh well, there was some a, would say uh, the episode is a better experience than the film itself. Anyway, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> but this isn't the Jin Femme episode. Will, you know, I was thinking you are my oldest friend, mm-hmm. and you're mine. We've known each other since reception. I don't know how old you are when you're on reception, <laughs> but you're young. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very young. Yeah, very yeah. young. <laughs> I have I have some of my earliest memories of like being a is kid. Is us podcasting? Is us yeah, podcasting? Yeah. We were sat in the playground. Uh, yeah. So yeah, were there any were there any signs at an early age that Don was going to be a podcast host? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like he he used to just sit in the corner of the playground talking to himself, so. <laughs> talking into a stick, being like, "Can you guys hear me?" Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of yeah. Break Time. <laughs> I have tuna sandwiches today (laughs) he's not doing well at school yeah we need to take him out (laughs) no we've always been messing around with various things talking about films trying to make little films all that yeah big time we made it we i helped you with that film the lost panda you did at uni (laughs) where you were dressed as a panda running around trying to why have we not done this on the podcast yeah yeah that sounds like a a directorial debut to me (laughs) no 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 Short the week. I think, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next time. That's, that's one of those ones where you just sort of gloss over it. It was a nice learning experience. <laughs> it was hilarious fun. It was a political mm. film about yeah, the endang- <laughs> endangerment of, <laughs> of Anders. <laughs> um, well, what are some of your your favourite films? Tell us about your cinematic palette. I will do. So I sort of took the approach to begin with to think about like big directors and what my favorite ones of theirs was so my favorite like Spielberg is Catch Me If You Can not Warhorse no oh. <laughs> so then favorite uh um Fincher would be Gone Girl I think which I don't know I think um 
some of the stuff you guys have talked about because I, I was thinking oh what's my favorite nolan because of you guys tell us your favorite nolan film memento because it got me into everything it just that watching that film i was like i understand why films can be made differently and because up until that point i think i just watched films to watch films because they're interesting because it's like oh yeah cool but i watched memento and was like okay cool you can do something different with a film and then proceeded to watch it in the right order and have you got that DVD with a, with a, with a special feature that you watch in the order? Yeah, and I was like, oh my God, it, there's so much in this, the way that they've crafted this film because without it, it's just so weird. I wanted to talk about um, Gus Van Sant. When we first talked about doing the podcast together, I thought um, a good directorial debut would be something from Gus Van Sant because I thought Elephant was his debut. I actually just wanted to talk about Goodwill Hunting because that's one of my favourite films. Is that because your name's in the title? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And the main character's called Will, so... <laughs> <laughs> is that, so Goodwill isn't his first film, is it? It's, How do you like them? No. It is it's Elephant, quite, quite late in no, his yeah. career, or like middle of his career, isn't it? Yeah, I mean. yeah. And Elephant yeah. was beginning, but still there's stuff before that. One of the other things that I was sort of uh, thinking about uh, potentially putting forwards was uh, Submarine, which is actually... Oh, direct- Richard Ayodi. Yeah, Richard Ayodi. It's his, his debut... And um, it's probably my favourite coming of, coming of age film. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's good. I saw it a few years ago, but it's um, yeah, that's really good. And he's done a he's done a couple more, I think. Yeah, he did a couple of others. He's done a lot of ads. He's done a lot of like voiceover and acting and ads. Yeah, yeah. He's sort of become like some banks. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like no, get back to making films. Mm. We want more submarines? Yeah, submarines awesome. And the, the, the way they use color to sort of depict the characters in that is awesome. Yeah, there's there's bunch of bunches of others, but is that a few to go on? good flavor of will we've all tasted and we like it (laughs) i I went down a little uh, rabbit hole with it and i've just written up like millions of films and millions of uh, tv shows actually because i tend to watch a lot more tv films dying art you know it's gonna (laughs) gonna disappear by 2022 i was when when the the pandemic carries on so much we have to watch everything on netflix it's impossible to do this without mentioning netflix in the first 10 minutes (laughs) yeah i know i feel like it's not an episode unless it's mentioned somewhere about how streaming is becoming seriously detrimental to cinemas Oh, by the way, one more thing. Richard Curtis, you guys talked a lot about Richard Curtis on uh, the Love Actually episode. And there was one thing that you forgot to mention, or I I may have missed it, but uh, The Girl in the Cafe always deserves a mention when you talk about Richard Curtis. Have you seen that film? No. No. Is no. That, oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about the girl in, opposite uh, yeah. in the actual yeah, yeah, cafe yeah, the opposite yeah. um, Colin Firth, yeah. the one who can't speak. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, it's, it, he wrote it, he didn't direct it, but it's still worth worth a mention. Yeah. Was that after Love ah. Actually? Um, it was 2005, so. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a classic Curtis or is it, does it, is it's, it a bit of piece? It's, well, it's Bill Nye, so okay, very yeah. much classic Curtis, but it, it's it's worth a watch. Okay. I highly recommend it and um, might change your mind a little bit about Curtis because I know how some people feel about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. What, tr- 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 oh, interesting, yeah. <laughs> it's such a Richard Curtis title. That's definitely a, that was definitely a Richard Curtis blind spot, I think. Clearly, we should have got you on the pod earlier yeah. because you're yeah. dropping knowledge that none of us know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have over-prepared, but we'll see. Yeah, you, <laughs> trust me, you can't, you can't over-prepare. You can definitely under-prepare. Yeah, you definitely it. can. Um, should we move into the film? Let's do, it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I should say, in case anyone didn't know, after clicking on this title, that this episode is Little Miss Sunshine, um, directed by husband and wife duo which i think is our first husband and wife duo they're not they're husband, not husband and, wife. and wife no 
Oh, they damn. Oh, You're no. showing his value already. No, no, no. Wait, this, this, is, this is because I said they were the other day, right? Even though I don't think they are. I think they are. You can never, you can never be too prepared. Are they just living in sin? Which we shouldn't have Will on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. See, so, so, oh, so let, sorry, let, we, can, let, we can edit that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let, let me explain what happened here. Right, I, okay. I was talking to, I was talking to Dom about this the other day, and I said, oh, uh, they're um, husband and wife, and then, and then you were like, oh shit, is, are they? And then I completely was like, everywhere I read it, it was like they're, they're like a partnership. Oh, they're like yeah. a duo. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, right, I just right. messed that up. Should we restart? I'm sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's um, all part of the color they, of the act. Delete all. It. <laughs> we'll just rewind Welcome the tape. To back. You never forget your first book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think I think they are husband and wife, Jill, yeah. from what I can understand. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And they are Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris, who directed Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, and it came out in 2006. It all felt quite current until George Bush came on and you, you suddenly yeah. realize how dated it is is it is this one of your favorite films will yes little miss sunshine yes 100%. yeah i should say sorry i should say will chose this film yeah i, I mean good choice. It. yeah it's just one of those films that you can sort of rewatch and rewatch and tell such a simple story but so well so it is sort of a similar tone to submarine in a sense that like it's a it's quite there are like comic elements to it but it's very serious at its heart mm-hmm. and it uses yellow as well as does that film. Yellow's a big, big theme. The synopsis for this film is quite simple, really. A family determined to get their young daughter into the finals of a beauty pageant take a cross-country trip in their VW bus. Nice. Makes you want to sit down and watch it. <laughs> I don't know what Ben Ass would think of that logline. He'd probably be like, yeah, it's not it's not directing enough of the story and where we're going with this. This had a budget of $8 million mm-hmm. and it made over $100 million. Yeah. It's insane. Makes me think of um, the Get Out episode where it was just such a micro budget into what ended up making. Clearly, from what I can understand, this was a massive uh, indie hit Mm. and kind of took off like out of nowhere. I don't think people expected this to be as big as it Mm -hmm. was. I think it was helped along by Steve Carell. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a great cast for an indie film. It's quite star-studded for, yeah, something that. Yeah. Well, something interesting about Steve Carell was that apparently they really had to sell him to get him in the film and the producers and stuff were like who's this Steve Carell guy I don't, I don't think he's gonna like, really? <laughs> be that big but he just finished doing 40 year old virgin yeah was this before the office started yeah they were just been. casting that I think at the at the time so yeah you kind of bet you bet your money that someone's gonna blow up yeah, yeah, big. Was it Tony Collette? She's always yeah. been around and always been fairly big. So I guess would have mm. pulled in some people yeah. and and obviously directors were sort of working with. Red Hot Chili Peppers and all that kind of stuff. So it's, I don't know, they had some, they had some eyes on them already, I suppose. It's definitely one of those um, casts that had, they're kind of, they're, they're, there are some big names in it, but it's sort of reassuringly not so big that the name comes before talent. They're all very good actors. I think they're kind of right for their, their parts. Yeah, I mean, 100%. The, the, the people they wanted to have in before Steve Carell would have been like blowing everyone else out of the water, I think. So it's going to be like Bill Murray and stuff. Oh really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, they they had because uh, that it's interesting because that all kind of ties to the kind of fact that this film was like conceived in two thousand or written in two thousand. Jonathan and Valerie were attached to it for like five years <laughs> before it got mm. made. And part of the reason I think behind that was that they the studio kept trying to put big names on it like Ben Stiller. Oh, we need to like put this whole film round like one. Mm. personality and they were just like no this is an ensemble film that just needs like a very good cast across the board it doesn't need to be pinned on sort of one Mm. person Mm. which would it would never have worked 
like that anyway, I don't I think, think. And the majority of the film is like you've got the first section where you've got to believe that they're all in a place where they're okay to like all go on this trip together. And then towards the end, you've got to all believe that they're in now in a place where they are going to end up, you know, with the final scene, that whole thing. You, 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 they spend, <laughs> that whole yeah, scene. They, they, <laughs> we'll come yeah, on we'll to, come that. to that. <laughs> but they, I, think, I feel like they spend a lot of time sort of showing you who these people are so that you believe what's going to happen. Doing it as an ensemble cast like that is the best way to do that because you're able to tell each person's story rather than just focusing on one because otherwise everyone around them would you'd be like why are they doing that like it's it's quite star-studded looking back at it now but at the time like paul dano wasn't really as he wasn't as big as he is now he wasn't wasn't really recognizable i wouldn't think Mm. and even like brian cranston like he's massive now because of breaking bad he would have been known he would have been you know he would have been known for malcolm in the middle but not 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 like again not the same i totally forgot he was in this when he said i was like what the what's going on and then oh yeah i'll come on to this probably later but part of my iwad thing is all to do with this because there's other people oh no we've got the same Uh, this might be the first time that's happened i don't think we've ever had like a similar <laughs> people have had a similar um I, I, it sounds like i can tell from the consensus of everyone that everyone quite enjoyed this film or at least is is a big fan of it that's it's a great film it's no yeah, war really horse good. but it's a great film <laughs> <laughs> the story behind this film of it taking so long to produce was kind of interesting considering that it was such a massive hit Mm. and it took five years to get to kind of get to production obviously we talked about the bigger stars kind of holding it up uh so the writer of this film michael aren't i think he he was like hired to he wrote the script and then was hired to kind of polish it and and make it and then they actually fired him to bring in a new writer because he didn't agree that they wanted to put the whole film around, is it Richard, the dad? They wanted yeah. to, to make that more of a, a character and he didn't agree with it, so they just fired him. And then someone else came in and wrote more of the scenes with Richard where like he goes to, to Brian Cranston and like it kind of has his journey a bit more. But then, then they rehired Michael Arndt when the, the studio heads changed or something. Something changed in the background which rehired him and then he came back in and polished the script up but some of those things were yeah. left in so you, that's why you get the dad being focused <laughs> on a bit more which I think is yeah. okay actually because yeah, it does it's, it's, it doesn't feel like it's his story. Mm-hmm. No but it ties to the whole thing of the film about it being about you know failure or what is failure yeah. and yeah. defining He's it. He's the top build cast isn't he so it's like is yeah, it? it was the first first name on the credits. I think, yeah, you're right, Dom. It sort of takes the uh, idea of winning and losing and that first, very, very first uh, scene you see where he's like lecturing people about winning and losing. I, I was... <laughs> yeah. I was <laughs> The nine step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nine steps. <laughs> I couldn't remember. Um, so obviously re-watching it, I couldn't remember whether they pulled out and he was just doing it as a practice to nobody. But then it's almost worse that he it pulls out and it's just like... People. Like nine yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a really good choice yeah. to do I think, that. I think it was like, so. Whoever, it, just, it all just shows him to visually be a failure. <laughs> whoever, whoever designed Greg Kinnear's costumes deserves yeah. an Oscar because... <laughs> It just does so much of the work for him that he's doing. The, you're talking about winning and how you know how important it is to succeed, and then you kind of zoom out and you just see he's in these like big baggy khaki shorts. 
Yeah. With his pager on the side. Yeah, he's always got the pager on the... That's like the <laughs> yeah. classic... The irony. ...middle America dad who's like trying to make it somehow in the corporate world. Because, yeah, I've been reading a little bit about how this film got made because you're right, Dom, that it took a long time. And I don't know, I get the flavour that part of the reason for that, though, is is less that people didn't have confidence in it and more that there was so much perfectionism baked in. So from the writer's point of view, Michael Arndt said he did 100 drafts of the screenplay before even selling it, right? So before it even got bought. Ben Ass is like, that's pussy numbers. <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, this this duo, I think, I, I don't know, it, it feels like um, they were just never prepared to compromise for commercial success. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, because I, I was reading about the duo is a good way to put them, Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris. One thing that they said was that basically don't compromise on your vision for a film. So we always saw it to be this way, and there were so many opportunities to have it made in a different way. But it, it, they were like, we just kept having the same meetings, the same conversations. Like, no, it's like this. It's like, well, what if we put this in? It's like, no, it's like this. And that just sounded like why it took so long to get made. But yeah. it, I mean, it's not unusual for films to take ages to get made. But for one that's like this, that took five years, it's often because of like budgetary constraints or not. So does this seem like it was just a difference of, I don't know, opinion of how it should be created? Because the, the duo were background was in music videos and adverts, I think. They probably were so used to working with a client who wanted their vision. So maybe an artist saying, I want this vision for my for my uh, song. And they're just so used to, to, I don't know, changing what they're doing to fit what people want, where they've now got this opportunity where they can have the film exactly as they want it. You know, fair play. Like, I think it, I think it comes through. I think sometimes um, people always say that the writer's job is to sort of reign in the director and the director's job is to reign in the writer. So it's like, um, <laughs> yeah, as long as, long as, as, long as you've got each, <laughs> keeping each other in, in check a little bit, then it ends up with something really nice and you're not just, it's not just sort of navel gazing and being self-indulgent. Which, which I don't think it was. The, the other kind of influence that you have to sort of resist and work with is like the studio usually, right? So you have to try and make sure it's a kind of commercial success at the same time and where you sort of, where you, you know, fall in that balance. I always feel like this film is the is like the archetypal like indie film. Yeah, ensemble. Yeah, ensemble, bright colours, family drama, like low budget seemingly, I guess, although it still did have a couple of million dollars. Michael Arndt, when he wrote it, because he had experience with the VW himself, so all of the breakdowns that happen in the film are inspired by stuff that he actually went through <laughs> as a kid, like having that bus. Yeah. Um, but he decided, he thought at one point that he might just film it himself, guerrilla style with a camcorder in the car, you know, hire a tiny cast, which would have been mm. interesting. Could as have a, worked, yeah. Yeah, you can kind of see like how the roots of the film are kind of based. It almost feels like the idea could be scaled to the level it was, mm. or it could be on a shoestring budget. Well, well, you said you like TV. I don't know if you ever watched, or if anyone here has ever watched episodes. Yeah, Stephen yeah. Mangan. It's a David Crane mm -hmm. thing, and it's about it, it. Reading about how this film came into came to life, it sound it doesn't remind me a little bit of that of that series. It's basically about this married couple, British, who write this really kind of beautifully crafted, like independent short sitcom for for BBC for the BBC and like it's, a, is this like a na the narrative of it then? yeah yeah this, this is, is this like is a the synopsis oh, right, okay. yeah so yeah it's about the, the screenwriters who, who who write that and it's a big success in the UK kind of critically and then Hollywood picks it up and they say okay we're going to make a, a big budget version over in Hollywood and then the series starts there so it's like how Hollywood is going to butcher up their script and they, and they put um, <laughs> Joey in it don't they? yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> and so Matt LeBlanc plays himself yeah. as the kind of the character the studio is like Matt's people are very interested and they just completely <laughs> railroad the whole script and it's an interesting I mean I'm sure a lot of it is like you know poetic license but it does um it makes you think about the kind of forces you probably have to resist if you've got a vision for a film um when you want to get it made the whole um Little Miss Sunshine vibe is very California. Like the the directors obviously working with Chili Peppers and stuff. The whole, especially at that time when Chili Peppers were really big, they're making all these videos which are just trying to encapsulate California as a thing. And then you see that in the music videos, and then you've got this Little Miss Sunshine small indie film, like just encapsulates california but in a completely different way mm. like all the colors and everything and mm. like you're saying the style the way they're dressing it's just it's so funny like the characters have just got such such great styles but it's all for me very california very yellow yeah i didn't even think about their clothes and now he's mentioned it steve carell looks like he's got a straight jacket on yeah. and a yeah. white shirt the whole time <laughs> just kind of puts his <laughs> mental state in that looks so out of place clothes. It's funny, yeah, we've mentioned it a few times. I think the um, they were huge music video directors, the the directors, their, their crew in, in music videos, working with like Oasis, as you said, Red Hot Chili Peppers. One of their massive um, music videos is, uh, is actually one by Extreme. I don't know if you know, like, have you guys heard about this power ballad thing? So in, in the kind of like late, 80s early 90s there were these like heavy metal and stuff was quite big so there were these metal bands making like very like aggressive music and then what they started doing is doing one song which is kind of like an emotional acoustic song and it became commercially their biggest hit because um, like because obviously metal was kind of limited where it was something like, anyway uh, more than words by extreme which is what they directed is like the ultimate example of that um, so it's a song that like everyone likes, but if you listen to any other music by Extreme, you'd be mm. like these guys. Like, <laughs> well, right. um, it's like they're one-off, uh, like yeah. Hollywood hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, but that's what I mean. But it have, there's like loads of like, literally there's loads of examples of it yeah, of um of like like metal bands having one kind of soft hit. But like I said, the probably the biggest one would yeah. be More Than Words by Extreme, which was directed mm. by. That's these so guys. interesting. I, I when you said Extreme, I was like, I don't know who that is, and then you said More Than Words, I'm like, yeah, I know what song that is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> that song is bigger than the band. Yeah. <laughs> Sparrow and I were talking about this because um, the duo, the directing duo, directed this Volkswagen ad, which is weird. I mean, there was almost an iWood in there somewhere. <laughs> and uh, they put this song by um, Nick Drake over it called Pink Moon, I think it is. And Sparrow had spoken to me about Nick Drake before. So when I read that name, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of know that artist. This ad is credited with bringing the revival of Nick Drake's or the focus onto Nick Drake, Drake's music because he was a mu- musician who is now really influential but when he started he, he no one really knew him and he died quite young yeah he's 27 so now I was looking at the ad on YouTube and in the comments everyone was like oh my god I remember when this ad came out and then I <laughs> discovered Nick Drake and I still have all the CDs okay, guys, in my car Volkswagen advertising is where, it, where, yeah. where it's at <laughs> <laughs> yeah the actual ad is just people driving around and then they go to a party and they don't get out of the car because they're like well we just prefer being in the car and they drive off and that's the ad but the track is so good um but it's just funny to think that the directors purposefully chose that music and then the effect it can have just by choosing a simple song like that massive yeah on the nick drake thing i don't know whether this was i think it probably was triggered by this but he's actually used in loads of films now like he's in garden state he's referenced in perks of being a wallflower he might even be played he's actually in a lot of once you can recognize his voice he's in a lot of stuff i think i feel like that was always going to be the way with this film with the duo directing it because 
you know, they're so heavily used to like decent music and I feel like the music was always going to be a big part of it. Did you guys see that they had given CDs to the actors and the crew and stuff to get them into? Yeah, beforehand, they were like, this is the vibe they were going for and they just used music. Oh, that's such a good idea. What, like the mixtape for each character? I think or just for the, the general film, vibe of like, the film, it was like, this is the uh, film. Nice. So kind of like a pre-soundtrack. Yeah, it's like... Sort of, uh, that's a really good idea. Music is almost... A, it, it's just like a shorthand for a whole vibe, isn't it? A whole a whole atmosphere. A mood, yeah. Yeah, certainly in indie films. Having been an actor before being directed, it's sometimes really hard to get into words, kind of what mood you kind of want to play, and it's, it leads to all sorts of embarrassing, weird ways of, of explaining, trying to explain what you mean. And actually, if you think about it, hearing a track for three minutes would probably just get you into the emotional space that mm-hmm. you're meant to be in. Totally. That's a really good idea. I wonder if other directors do that. On the music, it's the ba- it was scored by a band called Davichka, and I looked up the rest of their music, and it has the same sort of sound as, as the soundtrack. Mm. Also, Michael Danner also helped score it, and he has done loads of films. He also did Moneyball, which I think the score for is mm. amazing. That's cool. I'm just imagining Hans Zimmer giving out CDs. <laughs> 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 like two hours later, <laughs> three notes in. <laughs> turn it up to 10 and just listen to the horns um did you know that i read this i don't know if this is true that apparently the 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 guy the duo uh um turned down directing bad boys 2 yeah i saw that before this right Uh, or was it after yeah presumably it would have been before this but so they they seem like they're cut from the same time and sort of cloth as like spike jones and fincher it's like really big in music videos i think they had their own production company so you can kind of see why like someone would take the visual yeah two really visual directors and be like what about directing bad boys too but i just think it's so funny considering the rest of their career now to think that how that film would have come out it would have just been them driving like in their car being chased by the police but it would have been like on the horizon line <laughs> the horn going <laughs> off. Like, yeah but i think again that, that's so that's interesting characteristically isn't it of them turning down a huge guaranteed hit to continue working on something on an indie film that could easily have flopped it's a it's showing their confidence that they turned that down i think absolutely the producer of little miss sunshine was the person that eventually put the money up to make the film i think after focus decided to drop it so that was basically the reason the film got made um which is fascinating and must have been the best investment of this guy's (laughs) life because the money that came back would have been crazy we don't often talk about producers Mm. on the pod and i think we should more because they they are the people in the background that are really making stuff you know happen and basically the film would never have happened had that money not been put up i don't know if this is this is normal but i think he also bought the script out right when he read it right rather than sort of yeah, but I think he pay, they paid like two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars. Mark Turtle Torb, he's the guy that bought bought the script, I think, in two thousand and one. On what Will was saying about music videos, um, apparently they they use the same casting directors for this film that they did for music videos. You get directors often working with the same um, casting directors because they just have that shorthand relationship with them. Do you know "Tell Me Baby" by Red Hot Chili Peppers? The music, the music video for that came out the same year as Little Miss Sunshine. So I don't know whether they were working on production at the same time or whatever. But it's it's got kind of similar vibes back to what I was saying about it being very California before. But um, they they literally got a load of people into like a casting and filmed them and it was like i think they were auditioning and they were going to play some music or whatever they started playing red hot chili peppers 
songs. They were all these crazy characters. And then halfway through, like the members of Red Hot Chili Peppers just like run in and start playing with them. And they're all just like, oh my God. Oh, wow. And um, it's just like a cut up of all of this stuff. Back to what you were saying about the casting stuff. It's just the way that they've casted this thing, just all of these characters. They're just so California. So like, I don't know. You can tell they're Red Hot Chili Peppers fans. It's just the casting is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because they've, they've done all the like iconic Red Hot Chili Peppers videos that like they did um, Californication. Other yeah. side, Zephyr song. By the way, that scene with yeah. the policeman where they're next to the oil, the oil dipper, yeah, yeah. That's nodding cool. donkey, and you just got that wide shot of the, the, the that basically is taken from a Red Hot Chili Peppers video, right? <laughs> that policeman scene had me in actual tears. I forgot how funny that was. That when he gets back to the car and he says, well, she says, "What's happened?" And he's like, "I'll tell you when I regain consciousness." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real nice family got there, real cute. Yeah. <laughs> I really have to shout out to to Greg. Is it Greg Kinnear yeah. in this? Like, I thought he was so good. Just what else has he been doing? This is this is like one of the best roles. I is Greg Kinnear's history, his career? He started in Friends. He was in Friends for a while, right? He was on TV, I think, a lot. I feel like every everyone's Everyone. done their time. It's on like Friends. the bill in the UK. <laughs> the shift. Even like the policeman in that scene, the, the slight nuanced acting that yeah. he has. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Yeah, is yeah. he from and Breaking he's, Bad? He's a policeman, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, DEA, but he's police. Yeah, he's DEA. <laughs> right, okay. But, I, don't, I haven't watched Breaking Bad. I, watch. today, no. I, I was just like, this extra is amazing. I, I was going to be lost on you today then. Yeah, same. Right, okay. I think I'm just going to have to quickly come up to speed with Breaking Bad during I the think, recording uh, of this episode. You and I definitely yeah. have the same I want. Think... Yeah. <laughs> Exactly the same yeah. one. I'm going to quickly rethink it. I don't know if the horn was in the script, but like the the level of comedy that that brings that's like both visual and kind of yeah. audible. Like the fact that obviously the hearing the horn is hilarious, but it's just the reaction that everyone has to that. Like especially when he gets stopped by the policeman and he's like, sir, can you put your window down? And then he tries to, every time he tries to talk, the horn just <laughs> goes up. It's got these little things. One of the genius things about the scripts is it's all of these little things that happen throughout the film that then create running jokes throughout that they can just keep using again and again. Like the the brakes, the the thingy not working, you know, the, the clutch not working so they can't stop. That's such yeah. a banker. Like it, it happens once and it's funny at the start, but then they use it like three or four times throughout the rest of the film. You know when they forget Olive at the yeah. petrol station? <laughs> and she has yeah. to run and alongside. Yeah, and prior to that, him and her, Greg Kinnian, Tony Collette, have an argument mm. and they get in and the end of the scene is the car just rolling <laughs> yeah. off camera. <laughs> Because you like have to do that, and it's like that yeah. stuff like that. I think you know, it's like, is it the writer or directors? I don't know, but the the, the way that you would film, mm. you would frame that yeah. and put that and in. Timing. I I read this thing that apparently the those vans or just cars in general, you wouldn't need to put it into third. Like it's just not a thing. They just made it because if you were if you had to go if you if they had to go to first it wouldn't be they wouldn't have to push it as much and it wouldn't be as much of a thing so they just they just put that thing in there that they had to go into third to make to it, more, make fun, it yeah. more fun which i think worked so well the reason why this works so well for me as a as a comedy is um it just you just sit there and watch they're almost kind of going watch this just kind of watch this thing rather than going you know look at this crazy cool thing that we can do with the camera watch the events of what's about to happen you're so right because um i think the the guy the duo was saying that the what they had to do simple shots because the van didn't allow yeah for complex shots like you either film up it or film down it 
or just filming like there's no way that you can kind of complicate it and they actually said by the the restriction of having that meant that the 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 performances were just like the thing you were watching at the beginning when when they're uh moving around the house and you're getting to know all the characters that's Mm. quite like fun to observe but you still it's like a bit of a complicated shot but you still feel like you're just watching what's going on you almost feel like another member of the family just watching what's going on and being like who's this person and why are they doing this yeah i think they've shot it so nicely you feel like you're in the van with them like you don't feel like you're watching a film about people inside this car you feel like you're part like kind of part of it in there one of the things that I really like, this is like a smaller thing, is that just on the pacing of it, is um, when um, when they start off, there's um, there's, there's that discussion as, as to about, like, should they go? We can't afford flights. We'll have to take the van. I'm not driving the van. Um, and, then, and then, so I thought there was then going to be some kind of scene where they're all standing around the van. Oh, well, the engine needs fixing. Well, can we, does the tyre work? And then they kind of clamber in with their bags. Instead, it just has the kitchen table and it just cuts and they're on the move. Yeah, that that was like a very good idea, I think. Because mm. there was just no need mm. for that kind of waffle. Well, because it was yeah, um, yeah. I was going to say it's because it was more about um, whether Richard's going to get to the point of being like, oh, okay, fuck it, I'll do it. There's a there's a deleted scene. You know when he goes and gets the bike, and then he goes and visits Brian Cranston. There's a whole scene where he like chats to them, mm. like a deleted scene where he ch- chats to them, and then you see more of his journey there. And when you actually watch the film, he just goes up to the kids. And then it cuts. That's a noticeable cut, actually. That is, it, there's it's slightly jarring that. In the deleted scene, he's like, who wants to earn $20? <laughs> and then they all look at him and he's like, no, 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 not like that. Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously they, they cut that out, which is, um, yeah. But it, or, yeah, like Spyro's saying, for pacing. Because that's what this film is, so fast paced mm. in a lot of ways, like <laughs> which mirrors the manicness of the family as well. It also... It, it's my kind of film because I think it cuts down as much as possible the, the the screen time given to things happening as opposed to characters interacting with what's happening. You know, so there's a kind of it's not really a very event driven film. It's just really about watching how people how people relate to each other in a in a closed setting. And occasionally things are kind of thrown in just to kind of move them along, like someone dying spoiler alert or someone not getting their book deal or whatever but really what you're you're not spending time kind of looking at how those things unfold you're looking at how people react to them do you think that the people like this film as well because it's like stressful family scenario is something that everyone can kind of relate to in some way it always feels like it comes back to that you know like even when they get to the little miss sunshine and he takes the wrong turn it's like that's like just something that would happen 100%. in a family. Like someone's just did forgot to turn right, and then it's like, well, no, no, it's it, going it to <laughs> that bit when he then is uh, begging on the floor, and he's like, you don't know what we've been through. <laughs> like, <laughs> 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 there's a brilliant contrast actually in the whole thing about. So, so yeah, you're right. So, so obviously, the, there's a deliberately kind of mediocre family at the heart of this. Everybody's just kind of, you know, it's it's what everyone would relate to as a kind of normal, unexceptional family but there's something brilliantly contrasting about the setting and the locations where they are because everything's so pristine and perfect in that part of the world isn't it you see this in breaking bad as well these great big wide roads this gorgeous long desert emptiness you know everything's kind of perfect and pristine and then that's matched actually again obviously in the beauty pageant world where everyone's kind of plastic and perfect and so their normality their kind of humanity stands out in a way that it might not if it was 
shot in a mm-hmm. big city or something you know the van helps with that being yellow but apparently that it wasn't because it was called little miss sunshine they just needed it to stand out in shots <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny that's the classic would... color isn't it of a vw camp is it not i don't know i don't know if that idea has been been fed into your head because like maybe. of yeah, this maybe film it's... like you think oh well, they must all have been made in like yellow or blue but it's like <laughs> they probably came in any color <laughs> this is, uh, there's, there's my new <laughs> i word yeah <laughs> the point you made Louis, about uh the contrast is interesting because there was this alternate ending stuff i think they're on youtube but they're from the dvd extras and literally on the commentary they're talking you through the first one so they had four but there was essentially essentially um because they had a big big thing about the ending and how they were going to finish the film like once the whole pageant has happened and once they've done the performance it's like where do they go what what how do we end this and um they had one yeah. which looked hilariously fun to film where the family just like basically storm in uh steal the trophy and run out with it <laughs> <laughs> i wanted them to do that yeah, and they basically <laughs> filmed that in like a couple of different ways and that's so that was a couple of different endings but the, the one of the most interesting ones was one they wanted it to be the ending was um they sort of pull over on their way back home and they're like sat on a picnic bench as a family and they're all like talking about grandpa and they sort of, I don't know, cheers him or whatever and just thinking about his memory and they were filming it, but they only had one day to film it. And it was just like, they were saying it was just too beautiful to film. Like the, the, the background was really nice. Like they had this dolly shot that was just sort of like moving in on them. And they were basically like, this just doesn't feel like the film. It feels like a, sort of a different film altogether Mm. so they just spent an afternoon filming it and then was like let's just you know actors doing a great job but yeah that's interesting yeah it's actually quite nice that basically all of the relationship with the granddad is kind of unspoken yeah there's something Mm -hmm. very real about that as well you know like like the you know he says he's proud of his son and there's just no kind of acknowledgement of that or but you can kind of tell that it's touching to him that it means a lot to him for example or like when the undertaker's van drives away at the end and there's just that kind of moment of reflection there's a very real thing to that though where it's like that is just how it would happen it's 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 not hammed up Mm -hmm. you know in a movie it's like the music would go really big and like you'd zoom Mm -hmm. in on the car going away and then the eyes and like instead it's just Mm -hmm. like yeah two people come and pick this up and you would you would just throw the body out the window (laughs) (laughs) just so realistic yeah yeah so realistic you would store your porn on top of the body yeah this ties this ties to my eye word slightly yeah the grandpa was good but i actually found it um it wasn't what i because of the the kind of nature of the comedy i thought it was there's this trope in like hospital comedies where it's like it's not good news <laughs> it's great news he's made a full recovery yeah, um, yeah. and I, I thought it was going to be like that I thought it was going to be along those lines it's like oh he's not well and then it's like oh but he's fine but then but he's not and he dies I was like oh, yeah I think, I think they, they spend a lot of the film setting you up for like okay this is going to be the punchline like you you expect him to be like they pull you know when he pulls back the the cloth to see him and he just goes ah and you kind of expect him to just be sitting there going (laughs) 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 yeah yeah No, it's true though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. no, I, I, I 100% agree. But I, I think they're sort of building you up to those jokes like half the time, and they're most and they're of the not time, giving you the payoff. Yeah, and they don't give you the payoff. And then when they do give you the payoff with the song at the end, it makes the whole thing worth it because it's just like. Yeah, you know. yeah, that's so true. But also, they they do they give payoffs in weird ways. Like when that doctor comes in and says that. And it's all really somber. And then he walks away and he's like, Linda! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah. 
Yeah, that to me was so random. I was like, what? But then I was like, that's just funny. Like, that's kind of maybe what would happen, you know? Like, you, you would just get some doctor that's had, like, mm. this is the fifth time this has happened today. Yeah, yeah. It's like, this is a business here. Like, we're not, we're not, like... Yeah. The way the death is written into the, the arc of the script is quite clever because it, it probably mimics... There's a randomness to it. It feels very abrupt and it feels very unprepared for and there's no kind of, like... Like, obviously, he does have that quite meaningful conversation with his granddaughter, with Olive, before he dies, but there's no sense of him saying goodbye or kind of dramatic kind of emotional climax or anything it he just disappears and mm. i think there's a truth to that right you know you, you you know you're you're living your life and then randomly somebody dies but you get his legacy afterwards which is just him talking to you you know yeah, what i mean yeah. with with the yeah. with the performance you're like he doesn't even need to be there and he's influencing <laughs> yeah. this whole thing <laughs> exactly. this, this is close to my eye would actually we're, <laughs> we're going into territory wow. that's very close <laughs> i love how they, how they got a few scenes out of alan arkin in the in the van at the start which is just so funny between him and um Dwayne when he's just like no you doing heroin you. he's like no I'm not doing heroin he's like you, you'd be crazy not to do it at my age I love I love it like he's mm-hmm. so good Alan Arkin well, oh he won Oscar didn't he did one best yeah. supporting actor and Michael Arndt won best original screenplay I, I this was a surprise for me reading this not that because I don't think it's a good film but I I just doesn't seem like an Oscar uh, yeah sometimes you forget that these indie yeah, yeah I was but saying. then it kind of, if you ask someone, they've seen it and like it. Mm. Like, it feels like everyone has seen this film mm. and it's like, oh, Little Miss Sunshine, yeah, that's a great they, movie. Just, I think they just have to have the right amount of traction behind them to be noticed by the Oscars and stuff. It's just such a weird world, isn't it? Because, you know, so someone could do the same film in the same way, but, you know, if it doesn't get the right attention, it's not going to be up for the awards. It sounded like it had a very good festival run because there was like some bidding war for it that that happened afterwards for the distribution right. So it yeah, it feels like that you're right. That kind of PR of that would only mm-hmm. make people want to watch it more. Yeah. It would have just been so fascinating to have seen it in 2006 when it came out with all these actors and like seen what the level that everyone was mm. at then. Because like Sparrow was saying, it's true. You look back now and you're like, oh, it's it's star studded to some degree, mm. but. At the time, they just chose them because they were great actors. If you think about Steve Carell's career, I think it's almost, it's gold dust to his career that he did this in between something like The 40-Year-Old Virgin and something like The Office. Because if you think about what he's done since, it's actually shown a lot of versatility in drama. Totally. I think having that on his in his portfolio before in his filmography before um, going being kind of like cornered into just doing comedy mm. is actually a really you know it probably gave him gave him the ammunition to actually do better stuff later in his career. He's done more films recently that feel more in the ilk of Little Miss Sunshine. Exactly. When you actually think about this script on paper, it must have seemed so down. Some of the stuff that's mm. written, like yeah. he does die, his business does go down, his book or whatever. But yet the tone of the film is yeah. so positive. <laughs> I think I think one of the big things that we haven't really talked about which allows that all to happen is Olive because she's just so un- unbelievably optimistic throughout the whole thing and it's just like, I want to go and do this thing. I, this is all I care about. If, if it allows me to do it, then I'm happy. And and uh, her relationship with, with Alan Arkin, with Grandpa, it's like, it's just, I don't know. I, th- I, felt, I felt like she was amazing. She was so good. Ab- Abigail Breslin, I think. The actress, yeah, yeah. That everyone remembers that last dance scene as like the iconic. Yeah, yeah. yeah she is the. Uh, she, she's obviously the saving grace of the film. It would be quite depressing without her. And I guess because I guess ultimately it is a film about winners and losers and accepting yourself and all that kind of stuff. But it's also just about purpose, isn't it? How about ev- everybody? Everybody needs a purpose. 
and everybody else but Olive loses their purpose in this film. You know, the dad's career goes down the pan. The mum's going into a divorce. <laughs> the nine steps. Yeah, the the, the, the the mum who's dedicated to the family is like they're talking about divorce. The guy who um, wants to join the air force realizes he can't. Uh, the granddad basically doesn't have purpose, <laughs> like, but he's kind of enjoying the lack of it. And Olive's kind of the only one who just kind of never, ever wavers in her faith that yeah. like, this is the purpose she wants to follow. There's something interesting what you said about the failure, though. The, the very first shot of the film of her eyes, her glasses, and you can see in the reflection of it, um, the TV in which then you're shown that she's reciting. She's kind of copying what's on the TV and there's just something so interesting about those first few shots because they kind of encapsulate this whole idea of like, and it might have been America at the time, failure and society thinking, you you thinking you have to be a certain way because like everyone in the film thinks they should be doing something and are kind of pursuing that. But by the end, you realize mm-hmm. that they're actually happier not, you know, not being the things that they that people tell them they should be. Um and Michael Arndt apparently saw something with Arnold Schwarzenegger I saying like failures are... I hate, I hate losers or whatever. Where he said like, I just wholeheartedly yeah. disagreed with that. And it's interesting to see how that's imbued throughout the mm. whole film. And it's quite prophetic, right? As in, I guess I guess it was relevant in 2006. But if you think of the kind of Trump era, which is entirely built on this myth that there mm-hmm. are two types of people, winners and losers. And what matters isn't being right or being good, but being the winner. <laughs> it's it's actually quite a prophetic film it was it was obviously picking up on something that was quite rife in american politics because alan arkins it doesn't he say he says to olive when they have that chat before he dies like they're a, a loser or someone who doesn't even try well, yeah, that's he, kind he, of how it's defined yeah he sums he sums it up it's like you real losers are the ones who are too scared to try yeah that does like sum up the whole message it's like the grandpa's kind of already reached that um, understanding and the others yeah. need to learn it. I feel like he was waiting for Richard to get there as well. And when when he comes off of the the payphone and realizes that it's not going to happen, he, he Grandpa turns around to him and is just like, "Well, you tried. Like you tried something. It's not worked." There's, he's like the all knowing guy in this film. Those two those two points of view of winners win versus no winners try. Those kind of kind of summarizes the whole point of the film, doesn't it? The Greg Kinnear character just thinks, "Um, you are, you're only a winner if you win." Yeah, it almost feels like he needs to take the nine step <laughs> failure program yeah. he missed well, out the 10 yeah that it kind of comes back to that thing of them explaining you know how how the people are progressing in their life experience to get to where they are at the end where they're all kind of up for getting on stage and and sort of crashing this thing because you've got like steve carell's character and the son at that point where they have that thing outside they've they've just come through all of this stuff and they're both just like you know what like i just want to take it out on something on someone um but they they all have that in certain certain ways they have such a great chat those two uh at the end that's some read like there's some deep philosophical principles baked into that because he talks about Proust saying that his suffering years were the ones that formed him and actually yeah one thing we haven't talked about is what's his name the, the air force kid Dwayne Dwayne Dwayne's obsession with Nietzsche which 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 yeah. is kind of only sh- only kind of lightly explored because I guess you know you don't want to make a whole film about because Nietzsche. of Frederick Nietzsche <laughs> but, his, but I mean I'm not a Nietzsche scholar but I think Nietzsche's whole principle revolves around suffering is inevitable so you need to find purpose to give meaning to suffering and so it's like th- there's this kind of nihilism baked into the into the film that you know you live life shit happens we're all quite we're not exceptional we're 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 all kind of suffering so what 
what's going to keep you happy, what's going to kind of keep you living day by day is having a purpose to drive towards. And so what you're actually exploring with these characters is what is their purpose that's driving them. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, you know, with Dwayne, it obviously doesn't. But with, with Olive, it's this, it's actually keeping her happy. It's so well done with Dwayne because he's not saying anything and you're waiting you know that he's going to say something at some point and you're just waiting yeah like Chekhov's gun I don't know when when they when he gets to that point and he re- he's realized it looks like he's going to throw up like he looks like he's going to literally jump out of the van and throw up actually yeah. what he's going to do is <laughs> yeah. jump out of the van and just shout and it's like <laughs> when he keeps bashing the van there's a the, if you watch Greg Kinnear he he does this thing where he like looks up being like oh, what's wrong with the van he's like what's going, what's going on great direction and then he like turns around yeah it's just little, those little nuances like that in the acting. And I just, I do wonder, like, yeah. that you've got two directors, but you've got this ensemble cast. Like, how do you keep your eye on yeah. everyone to, like, direct them? You just kind of like have when to he's, hope. when he's, like, mouthing at people that it's not him doing the horn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> doesn't really work on microphone, but he's like, he doesn't actually say it. And that's so, that's how you talk to people when you're driving. Like rather than saying yeah, yeah. it, you just sort of mouth the words, and it's yeah. Yeah, when the policeman, when Hank comes along and uh, <laughs> is uh, like getting him to roll down his window, it looks like they they've they've like finished rolling, and he he's actually broken the horn, and he's just like, I I don't know what's going on with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the horn is so i'd love to know if the horn was in the script or not because it it feels like i'd love it if it wasn't yeah um rolled it in on Dwayne's scene as as someone who is colorblind i have to say that is the scene that everyone brings up whenever you you they find that out they're like oh like the kid in little miss sunshine so you can't fly jets like everyone just that seems to be the cultural standpoint so i have to thank the directors for giving something that's popular yeah, so yeah. I have a reference you've, you've point. been represented <laughs> you feel represented yeah. in film now. yeah exactly how um this should have been my award how did you find out dom um how old were you uh i was in the back of my car <laughs> with my parents <laughs> i was at uh, an air force academy exam I was at, yeah um no my brother is actually more colorblind than i am so there was a suspicion a, a suspicion a suspicion <laughs> we should have a suspicion, suspicion going on here um there's a suspicion that i was it doesn't categorically mean you can't be a pilot i think it just means if you're really badly colorblind you can't be a fighter pilot right. yeah because he says that at the end doesn't he he's like i'll fly i'll find yeah. fuck the air force i'll find and a way or out of interest on could you see that a eh? in the film oh yeah, yeah good point so I yeah I thought about this that's a really good and, question um, I, I, could, I could see it and so it made me well okay so two things one is I don't know if because you film it and then when you play it back it mm. it will always just well, they could have graded certain... it to make it exactly know. but I also think maybe they kept the A in just so that everyone yeah, across yeah. the board so everyone gets <laughs> good on the scene otherwise a of people would yeah. be yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually it. rewound <laughs> I, I rewound it and I was like hang on maybe I'm not kind of like <laughs> like hang on how does this work <laughs> wanted to mention this because i didn't know if i don't know how this would be handled on set but apparently the directors did go to these pageants like to actually do research and a lot of the people that ended up being in the final scene were people that had been the real in these in yeah the real people and also a lot of the wardrobe had been like provided by people that were at these pageants so pageants pa- i can't yeah, say pageant, that yeah I think pageant yeah so. i just find it interesting how the film is sort of against them a little bit but the people that actually do the the these pageants are in the are scene in yeah so you wonder like on set how that was or if anyone even thought about that i i, I don't know but i think uh they probably 
you know, they've probably got some awareness of it. I know she wore a fat suit. Yeah, I read that really? as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's that there's that ice cream scene about the like about the weight mm-hmm. or about, you know That's an incredible scene. I love the way Steve Carell deals with that because he's got like nothing sort of left to care about. Right at the beginning, he sat at, when they're having that meal and he's just talking about the nine steps constantly and he just turns to Dwayne and's like how do you part with this? Like, yeah. <laughs> is he always like this? Yeah. 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 So I love when, when Richard's like, he's a, Olive, he's a sick man. He's a sick yeah. man. And you get that shot of Steve Crow and he's just like, ah, what are you? like, how dare you? Yeah. It's also another interesting directorial choice to have Steve Carell's depressed face in the dark come up when the, t- is there when the title comes up over it. It's like mm. Little Miss Sunshine over uh, yeah. this like depressed forty-year-old. I find guy's that interesting face. because you have they, the the timing they took to do it as well. It goes like Little Miss next to his face, and then you're like, they're not going to put sunshine like over his face, and then it just goes straight over his face. <laughs> <laughs> they're just like screw yeah. you. We'll do what we want. I've noticed a trend on the pod a little bit. A lot of directorial debuts end up the stories kind of end up mirroring the filmmaking process to some degree. Uh, in in some of the things I've read from Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris, they talk about how filmmaking is last minute problem solving. It's just constant last minute problem solving. There's always an issue. The location gets cut, camera doesn't work. Like you just have to improvise. That's sort of mirrored in the story of this. The dad, the grandpa dies, the car's clutch goes, but they just kind of roll with it yeah. and like try and make something out of it. And there's, there's just like a, par- a parallel there between how the films make because I'm sure there were problems behind scenes as well you know like locations dropping out I think the the pageant was meant to be somewhere and then it wasn't so they had to find a new place you know when they're in the car it always feels like something is going wrong but everyone's just kind of dealing with yeah, it yeah. as best they can roll on um and anyone who's made a film knows it's just like which we all have here something's always going to go wrong before you press record and you kind of just have to roll with it yeah I, th- I mean I, th- I reckon that's probably most uh, evident in directorial debuts because you're sort of working it out. You know, it's like they, you know, something, even though they've done loads of stuff before, they're still, you know, they've got to work out how to do this one thing. And like we said before, they spent a long time making sure it was absolutely perfect. So I can imagine a lot of those things coming up because if they want it to be exactly the the way they want it to be, they're going to, you know, they're going to find all the things wrong with it. Right. They, they seem to have made all the right decisions, though. I haven't seen any of their other films, um, but do, does this lay down... Because often, you know, with, with people we do, that there's like the seeds of, of their later kind of careers are like sown in their early work. Um, do, do you, well, has anyone... Has anyone found this with these guys? Or? I've seen Ruby Sparks. Don't know if anyone else has, which is the film they did after this uh, about a writer that kind of writes a character that ends up coming to life, and it and it's with Paul Dano, and it uh, it does have it does have the same indie feel to it, and it's very character led. I've also seen Living with Yourself, which I didn't know they did. Love that, uh, yeah, uh, with Paul Rudd on Netflix, and that uh, yeah, that again felt like it had the felt like they were stretching out in another direction there, which was interesting. Mm. Still had yeah. the character led thing, a theme but, though, isn't it? Kind of kind of like the idea of you know between the perfect yeah. and the crap there is a sort it's of a, it's such a great show existence. and uh yeah it's, it's one of those ones which is like a concept isn't it it's like they've just they've just taken this idea that you can go and clone yourself and then yeah it's just i don't know it's just it just works so well and it, again uh, you're saying similar similar themes and i think they've approached it in a similar way to be like anything that is happening so even if it's like human cloning they've kind of approached it in the same way and gone look, look at what this sort of does to 
of people's lives rather than making it all like a sci-fi sort of like, yeah, we've got cloning going on. You know, it's more of an eye on the wall. Should we chat about iWads? For anyone who doesn't know, iWads stands for It Was All A Dream. And it's the part of the show where we talk about alternate theories for the film at hand. iWad was coined by our friend Dylan, uh, who expressed a big disinterest over films in which they end with the main character having dreamt the whole thing which gave birth to the phrase, it was all a dream. Is every, everyone ready what could for it be? The, th- the three iWads that we have? <laughs> Happy to go first or Sparrow, do you want to go first? I feel like we don't usually lead with Sparrow. I'll go, I'll go first. This isn't a, yeah, this isn't a classic. This isn't, yeah, um, basically it's, um, it's, my theory is that and I'm not really sure where I'm going with it. That it's it's kind of set. It's actually set in the 70s. And the re- the reason is there's just a few. Firstly, just the the, the clothing, the costume, like the dress sense of all the characters. There's it's kind of done a bit like especially with the young girl. There's like a bit of a mock with it where she has like the headband at the um at the uh, at the at the diner and stuff. But it's like it's kind of dropped in as like a bit of a joke. But actually, it's just actually what she would wear. Then the other things to back this up are they're kind of a they're not doing particularly well. Like um, the dad isn't like doing financially very well, but they have this 1960s thing when they're, they're really valuable. Um, but if it was like in the 70s, off the back of the 60s, it wouldn't have been, it would have been just like a banger. Whereas like today, today it'd be quite expensive to get one. And then the other things, yeah, there's just like a lack of, like you don't really see like mobile phones and stuff in it um, very often. Well, you see his pager a little bit. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's not. Yeah, I was, I was, I was hoping it would like. I'd be, and then like at the beginning when he's doing a presentation, it's on one of those old projectors. Like it's not a PowerPoint. It's on one of the. So I was, I was kind of hoping. And then obviously there's the bush thing, which ruins my theory. But like, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I just, I just felt like a lot of it did feel like it was like kind of a throwback. So um, is your theory that the the film is is actually set in the seventies, or that they've somehow. They've somehow find a, found a way to to get back to the seventies. I don't know. I think is it. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. It, it could, they could, with a few adjustments, they could have easily have made it um, be in the seventies. Like you just change the the thing from Bush to like I don't know who it was Reagan. Yeah, the Bush and the fo- the Bush and the phone feel like the biggest offenders there. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. I could buy the rest of it. As- I don't know what was Bush. Maybe he was the governor of Texas or something. Yeah, in Dwayne's room. He's got CDs. I was like, nah, plot hole. Um, yeah. But that's that's my that's my theory. It's mainly the the clothing. Yeah, I think the styling is very kind of seventy. But I, I think that's also the the thing I was trying to go on about earlier with them. It it being all very California and colourful, and and I think there there was a thing I read about how the road trip that they do from um, Albuquerque to the to the pageant is like they were going to do that in Florida or something. I can't remember where oh, it yeah, was. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I uh, feel I like that, that would have given the whole film a completely different style. And I think it's it's the fact that they're in the locations that they are in the era that they are that gives it that 70s sort of vibe. So I, I can see that totally. <laughs> it's really interesting. You, you, you've you talked about the California thing so much because it, it really does draw against their situation. Um, <laughs> But also, it's interesting how we all agreed this was a timeless film, yet Sparrow's just proven that it is very rooted in a specific era, or at least visually. Um, Maybe we just associate the 70s as being timeless. Nice. I guess I reckon there's one one thing that stops it being timeless, bringing it back to it, which is the dawn of social media, right? Because we haven't really talked much about that. For a film that is all about comparing yourself to other people 
and being true to yourself and not dividing the world into winners and losers and stuff it it, it doesn't it because it was made in 2006 it doesn't really have to engage with the facebook and instagram era but you could argue that that is where all of that stuff came. that's like laying the groundwork people being like that in the 90s people coming up with nine step you know programs all yeah, of that yeah, stuff that's yeah, a precursor yeah. to to everything with the social media and pageants yeah, but but i guess the exactly absolutely it's like a, you know instagram is one big beauty pageant happening on your phone but i think the point is that if it was made now you wouldn't be able to tell that story without telling it through that lens that's, that's true a little bit like there would have to be one kid who was who was obsessed with instagram or something but in a way mm. it's i mean it's i'm actually glad that it doesn't it's not just another the dangers of social media film you know it's actually about a more kind of human truth at the foundation of it can i just give a shout out to the guy at the end of the the performance when everyone else is just like stunned and he just stands up and goes <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like he's the one guy on like on social media who's like this is actually brilliant <laughs> you guys all yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah before we go into louis and will's iwad i should probably just do my iwad to get it out of the way um because mine isn't breaking bad related which i'm assuming that your your guys ones i'm gonna are. i'm gonna have to come up with something else now so mine's actually pretty straightforward if not maybe one of the most emotional iwads we've ever had on <laughs> on the podcast um so my iwad is that and we touched on it earlier that alan arkin's character has I think maybe Will said this, but like he kind of has everything figured out. Like at the start of the film, out of everyone, he is the one character that just accepts himself for who he is. And that's why he just says this outrageous stuff in the van and everyone's like, oh, you can't talk like that. But like, he's just like, I'm just going to accept the way that I am. When he dies, my iWod is basically that the after he's dead, everything else that happens in the film, everything from that point onwards is Alan Arkin's dream of how it went because everything that happens afterwards Alan Arkin is just imbued in all of it so like the dance at the end she references that she learned that with his granddad you can imagine that he would have like maybe in the afterlife he's like imagined that this how this is how it goes yeah he probably was never a fan of of great of Richard's business and his nine step thing so he's kind of imagined that that doesn't go well but it kind of teaches him something and because also because the film is just nuts after he dies like, yeah. <laughs> so, so what you're saying in reality actually they just stopped at the hospital yeah, and then that because, was it like they were like oh we can't died, go yeah, exactly like death dream <laughs> because if he yeah because if he died like what would actually happen you'd just be like right we need to sort the funeral yeah, out yeah we like, can't go off this pageant, yeah. Miss Sunshine thing but instead they're like they get him out of the room and it's like that's exactly what Alan Arkin would have wanted like yeah. his character would have thought there's definitely something there's definitely something in that I think also if you think about Richard right Greg Kinnear's character he completely changes when his dad dies because he basically kind of takes on his dad's mantra of fuck everything like we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna do what I want and up to that point he's quite kind of risk averse he's quite trying to be quite responsible and all that kind of stuff and after that he's just breaking down speed barriers with with the van <laughs> chucking dead bodies out the window how he gets everyone on board with taking the body out he's yeah. like we do, let's just do this yeah. let's just do it and then the Tony Collette's like yeah, all right, fine. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. <laughs> I feel like he definitely would have dreamed up that sequence with the policeman as well. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. that adds to the I would even more. Surreal. It's like, why would that ever happen? Like, it would never happen. 
<laughs> that bit when he looks through the van to Tony Collette and she's just looking back like, what, what's going on? What? Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> hey, you got a nice family. That's real cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're two Iwards down. Do we have a third Iward and that's the end? Well, you, do need we have... to, you need to do the honours for well, the Breaking why don't, why don't I try and explain it? And then if you had any different yeah, things, yeah, because yeah, right. yeah, I think can, you may. double team it. Basically, obviously, watching it yesterday, kind of re-watching it after having, having seen it in a, in a while and watching Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul in between times, it was like, oh my God, Brian Cranston's here. Oh my God, <laughs> Hank is here. And then, oh my God, the guy from uh, Better Call Saul is here. Like, what is going on? And then the, who's, the, and, who's the Better Call Saul guy? Um, so you know the other policeman at the end after they've done the performance who is talking to them and is like letting them go basically he uh, is oh he says you can never come back to the state of California yeah. to do a beauty pageant again he um, is from Better Call Saul and he was like uh, Saul's best mate and he was in like the first season I think first two oh, right. seasons yeah 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 um, so he's part of the whole um, Breaking Bad canon so I was just like I'm just I'm sure thinking the same thing as Louis is like, this has got to be, there's an Iwood here somewhere because they also, <laughs> it's set, the, the beginning is set in Albuquerque, which is where, yeah. uh, which is where Breaking Bad is set. So kind of the Iwood from my point of view goes uh, that Brian Cranston's character has basically had a bit of a, he's stolen, he's stolen Richard's idea and then done like, you have to be a winner. And then since, <laughs> since uh, Little Miss Sunshine, he's kind of had a bit of a breakdown because the nine steps didn't really do it for him. He's changed his identity <laughs> and then set up, a new, set up a new life and then becomes Walter White. <laughs> Uh, That's good. And then, I mean, yeah, yeah that, was, that was exactly my. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Stan Grossman is it, it was the original Walter White, yeah. but then he does the nine steps and becomes Walter White. <laughs> that is hilarious. So, wait, how does the policeman and the other guy fit well, into this? Uh, They're Hank, just extra characters. Hank is like a police in uh, Breaking Bad, he's part of the DEA. So, I guess he could have probably been a bit uh bit too, too into the whole porn stuff been dismissed from the police <laughs> changes rising up the ranks yeah so what you're really saying is little miss sunshine is part of the prequel the, yeah it's a prequel yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's the origin story the the bb the bbeu the breaking bad extended universe yeah, yeah exactly it's actually a the prequel to the whole thing <laughs> that would actually be hilarious if they put that on like the dvd of breaking bad being like the prequel to breaking bad <laughs> should you want to watch it is this little indie film yeah. called little Miss Sunshine. The, the only thing, and that, it might just go on. Go on. I said the only, the, the only, <laughs> the only thing, the only thing that breaks it down a little bit is, um, is the character from Better Call Saul. He, that is Better Call Saul is a prequel to Breaking Bad, so he would have had to be going flying between Chicago, which is where he lives with when he's part of Better Call Saul and Albuquerque, to like do his job as a police officer and also be Saul's friend. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole other I want. That's in why there. I saw, saw moved to Albuquerque. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There are also such similarities between Walter White at the beginning of Breaking Bad and Greg Kinnear's character in this. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that's because it's like standard middle-aged Albuquerque man mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of looks looks like this guy. Yeah. Um, but they wear all the same clothes. I feel, I feel like maybe uh, Walter White is a bit more like fed up with what he's doing and Rich, Richard's sort of clinging onto it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he makes peace with it, doesn't he? So I guess he could have, after the book, he could have been like, 
teaming up with Walter White to, to he's like now so reckless that he can just go off and make yeah, it. Gonna, yeah it almost feels like Greg's got his own sequel spin-off they need to do yeah. where, where he like has the van and transports drugs around or something <laughs> yeah that's the first time that's happened where we've had two iWords that, yeah. that, are, that are exactly the same shows that you guys are thinking in the right headspace yeah you, I mean your, your it was all a dream was that it was all a dream yeah yeah, yeah it was that's true I think it's Dylan the first is time that's right as now. well yeah Dylan <laughs> <laughs> just throwing his iPhone yeah. across the room. I really didn't go far enough with it, considering that I just read it. I mean, I'll always bring up the one that we did on Monsters, where I was just like, yeah, it's like the film's real. It's just yeah. really happened. <laughs> it's like, Wait, what? Is that an I want? I don't know. It's a documentary, is. yeah. Yeah. They just put cameras up and then they actually filmed it. Well, we haven't failed in finishing this podcast. We're all winners at this podcast. Yes. We've, all, we've all tried. No one's died. It's good to have you on, Will. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pri- privileged. You chose a really great movie. Yeah. I would say this yes. is one of, the, one of the best debuts we've done. For sure. I don't know if I say that every episode, but we'll wait <laughs> until I say that next time. They're just getting better each time. It was yeah. a, it was a, <laughs> yeah. It's a ray of sunshine to kick off what's going to be a fabulous 2021, I'm sure. Everyone's out and about socialising. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Watching the open road and them going off on it in a car really made me want to get back to traveling i know it's designed to look kind of like hell on wheels but actually you really want to do it but yeah <laughs> the one shot want, of want the, the freedom of it the shot of the mechanic watching them like <laughs> yeah. push the car and go off and the guy just like shaking his head was, like these why guys is, why is there a random italian mechanic <laughs> in the middle of the deep south and like why was that no one's eye ward by the way that should have like yeah it's a good point that should have so been it's yeah. such okay, like it's such a random nationality to just plonk into like the arizona desert or wherever also are. when the mechanic was like yeah probably take like a week or something for the part I, and he was like obviously outraged because they needed it then but i was like that's that's, that's pretty fast for like <laughs> a small mechanics in the middle that's of a, california that's like, like jeff like, bezos speed yeah <laughs> For this like bus that's no longer made, yeah, that seems pretty quick, actually. Actually, Greg. Yeah, screw you, Greg. All right, well, I'm off to do the seven-step program, nine-step program, even. And about you guys. Need um, mate. Otherwise, that's bye from uh, Sparrow. Adios. Bye from Louis. Bye bye now. Bye from Will. Players. See you guys on the next one. Bye.